0: You are listening to the City on a Hill sermon podcast. For more information about our church and to support this ministry, visit cityonahilldfw.com.
1: Thank you. Hey there, how y'all doing this morning? I'm going to tell you a quick story in the first service, since you were not in here, obviously. We celebrated baptism this morning. Courtney, a young woman, was baptized this morning, and it's a great story. Courtney uh, actually found Jesus in one of our freedom groups. Uh, she came to get help in life, and with that group of women, they loved her and encouraged her and shared Jesus with her, and she came to know Christ in the middle of that, that freedom group. And I tell pastors all over the country when I visit with them that this kind of ministry of help, hope, and healing with life needs is a great bridge into people's lives for the gospel. Mm. Because in that environment where those women were caring for her and nurturing her and helping her to grow and helping her to heal, she found Jesus. Mm. And she celebrated that this morning through the waters of baptism, picturing that death to the old life and resurrection to the new life in Christ. And so I just wanted to celebrate that with you and let you be a part of that because it was a great experience and uh, it really kind of set up really for our message this morning. It
0: did. In so many ways. It did. I mentioned it at the welcome and I said that it would probably come up in the message again because how could it not? It was was a great illustration for what we're talking. Good morning. Hopefully you have your Bibles. We do use them here. We're going to be opening to Daniel chapter 2. We are pretty big fans of the Bible. I don't know if you figured that out. Um, We like the Bible. Those of you joining online, uh, hopefully uh, good to see you, uh, or you to see me, rather. (laughs) Uh, And all of you here, if you're a guest, uh, welcome. Glad glad that you're here. We're continuing a new series we began last week in Daniel that we have titled Unshakable. Unshakable. Daniel is great for... uh, for many, many reasons. Of course, every, every word of Scripture we believe is profitable and, and yeah. good. Uh, Daniel, in particular, is, I think, uh, applicable for us because of the, the day and age that we live in. Daniel lives in a society hostile towards his faith. And yet, in the course of his life, he remains unshakable in his convictions. And that is something that we can all certainly learn from in our present time. One of the other reasons I personally love Daniel so much is Daniel, as we're going to find out today, is an interpreter of dreams. And uh, dreams have always been something very, I think, special to me. I've, I've always been a vivid dreamer ever since I can remember as a, as a child. I've had very vivid, very detailed dreams. I remember as a kid, I had I had one dream in particular six to seven times over the course of about six months. And, and each time it it became longer and longer, and there was more to it. And even this week, I confess, I had spoken with my wife yesterday. I've just had some very strange dreams. And I don't ever make too much out of them, but I like to talk about them because I don't know. Sometimes when I'm processing them, they they come out a little differently.
1: Would you like for me to give an interpretation?
0: Can you do that for me? No. You got to tell me what the dream was first. (laughs) Oh, yeah. This is part of the message. This will be part of the message. Um, But, you know, I'm not one to over spiritualize dreams. I've had one in my entire life that I believed had spiritual significance. For the most part, I think that it's just jumbled data trying to work its way out of my brain. Here's one thing I do know for sure when I dream is that when I'm dreaming, I'm sleeping. Uh, you're like, well, yeah, yeah, that's that, uh, obviously. That's dreams, actually scientific, isn't it? It is scientific. Yeah. Dreams uh, don't happen right away. There's a, whole, there's a whole sequence of events that take place through dreams. And, and uh, experts tell us actually there are five stages of sleep. The first one, stage one, is what we just call light sleep. It's easy to wake up from. Your muscle reactions do begin to slow down. And uh, you experience
1: some muscle twitching, right? That's the one we typically see in church a great deal of. Yes. Yes. And we know that you're moving into the second stage after that. We always
0: know. <laughs> we always know. Stage two is the moderate sleep, where your breathing patterns and your heart rate begins to slow even more. Your, your body temperature actually decreases. So Have you ever fallen asleep a little warm, like maybe without a cover, and then woken up cold? That's because your body naturally decreases in temperature as you are sleeping. Stage three is our deep sleep stage. Your brain begins to generate slow delta waves. Stage four is very deep sleep. Your breathing is in a slow rhythm now. Your you know, brain is only producing. You are just a suppository of useless information. I am. I am. I'm highly, <laughs> highly educated. <laughs> How many of
1: you caught that, what I did there? Okay, yeah. all right. Okay.
0: <laughs> Your brain is only producing delta waves in this stage. <laughs> And that leaves us to uh, stage five, which was aptly named after the famous 80s, uh, 90s band R.E.M. Uh, (laughs) REM sleep. REM sleep. This is where dreams occur. Now, that's important for you to understand. Dreams only occur in that fifth stage. Uh, It doesn't happen anywhere in between, but only in that fifth stage. Dreams are interesting to me. Let me give you a few facts about dreams. This is all free. You're not getting this kind of information anywhere else. I'm telling you, this is important stuff. This is good stuff. Here's number one. Everyone dreams everyone dreams. Uh, I've heard people say, well, I don't dream. You do dream. You just don't remember them. Everyone actually dreams. Uh, Number two, how many of you have ever had a dream that felt like it lasted like a week, just (laughs) went on and on and on? Dreams actually only last in real time five to 20 seconds long. Yeah, five to 20 seconds long. Uh, When you're snoring, you're not dreaming. Uh, it's, a, it's a provable fact, folks. When you're snoring, you're not dreaming. Maybe this is why Mrs. Bledsoe doesn't dream that much. <laughs> if oh, she were in here, if she wow. were, to be fair, if she were in here, she would agree. Um, she snores? She snores. She doesn't uh, look like a snorer She to me. snores. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of course, so do I. But I dream, so I don't uh. know. <laughs> Number four, this is not not applied to humans. It's actually an animal one. elephants stand while they're sleeping... But they lay down when they're in REM cycle. So if you ever find yourself needing to sneak attack an elephant, uh, wait until it's laying down. down. That's when they're having dreams. That's when they're having dreams. Um, Some of you are asking, why are we talking about dreams so much? And it's because this morning in Daniel chapter 2, much of it centers around a dream. King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has a very troubling dream. And this dream sets the stage for the events in chapter 2. Last week, we talked about how Daniel had a chance to really stand out. Remember, he had been brought into this Babylonian program. They had uh, changed his name. They had uh, taught him to read different literature, taught him to speak another language. He went through this whole re-education program. But the the area that he drew the line in the sand was the, the king's choice food and drink. And the reason for that is because that was the only thing that really violated his scriptural convictions. It didn't matter about his name, didn't matter about his language or what he was reading, but the food had biblical significance to him, and that is where he made the hard decision we talked about that. Remember, he burned the ships. He made the hard decision from the heart to go ahead and avoid the king's food, and by doing so, he stood out. There was a chance to stand out, and he took that chance. This week Daniel has a chance to step up, to step up and actually do something significant and be used by God. And that opportunity to to step up arises when the king
1: freaks out. And the reason the king freaked out is because he had a dream. And it was an incredibly troubling dream. Verses 1 through 4 tell us about this dream that the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, had. And he had it over and over and over for night after night after night. And this wasn't sweet dreams. This is more like Nightmare on Elm Street because it just kept coming back every night. And so he eventually did what ancient kings would have done and people who had the money to pay for it. He called in the magicians. He called in the conjurers, the sorcerers, and, and all these people to interpret his dream. Now understand that these people that are called the sorcerers and the conjurers and all that, the magicians, they're predecessors of really the kind of the modern-day palm readers, the fortune tellers, the people that would gaze into a crystal ball and suppose that they would tell you the future. It was all hocus-pocus. Pretty much everybody knew it, but it had become a huge industry. In fact, archaeologists have discovered... What is called a book of dreams. This is an ancient, ancient scroll from the days and the time around in that ancient world, where a system of interpreting dreams had been developed by these magicians. And they had, a, they had assigned meanings to certain aspects of different types of dreams. And over the course of time, this had grown into a book. And so whenever they would come to interpret a dream and the person would say well they'd say well tell us the dream and they would assign each element of that dream closest to one of the signs and then they would put all that together and they would give an interpretation to the individual of that dream. Now again as I said it was pretty much all hocus pocus and everybody knew it but most kings in this kind of situation wanted to cover their bases and so they would call the conjurers in anyway And that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar did. He finally said, I've got to find out what's going on, why this dream keeps coming back. But he was so serious about wanting to know the truth. He didn't want just hocus-pocus. He really wanted to know the truth. What is this dream meaning? What's it all about? In verses 5 and 6, when he calls these magicians in, he says, Now we've got a new program today. We're not going to do it the old way. The old way is where I would tell you my dream And then you would give me an interpretation. But in order for me to know, if you really know what you're doing, first of all, I want you to tell me what my dream is. I'm not going to tell you and then let you come up with some interpretation. You have to first tell me what my dream is, and then I'll believe whatever interpretation. And he said, and by the way, if you can't do that, if you can't tell me what the dream is, I'm going to have you torn limb from limb, and we're going to burn your houses to ashes. I mean, the pressure is on. It's getting serious. Well, eventually, the magicians and sorcerers said, but king, you're asking us to do something that no one but one of the gods is able to do. And they worshiped all these pagan gods. and said, well, it would take a god to be able to get inside your head and know what your dream was. And the king says, that's it. I'm done with your charade. I'm done with your hocus pocus. I am going to tear you limb from limb, and I'm going to burn your houses. Now, on most situations, most occasions, the king probably would have just played along. He would have let them give their bogus interpretation, and he would have accepted it, and he would have felt better about it. But this was a crisis. I mean, this was something big. This was something that really had the king totally and completely freaked out, And he wanted some real answers. He wanted some real truth. It's a little bit like the old saying that there are no atheists in foxholes. (laughs) And what that really means is when it gets bad enough, even the unbelievers will start praying. I mean, when the mortars are flying over and the bullets are whizzing, even an atheist, even an unbeliever is going to start praying. Well, that's kind of where Nebuchadnezzar was. It had gotten so serious in this thing, he was so freaked out, that he wasn't willing to put up with the normal course of things. He wanted some real truth. Now, that's where Nebuchadnezzar was. And this is one of the key parts of this entire story. Because it is into that crisis, it is into that void, that Daniel, the man of God, steps up. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Derek's going to tell us about that. And when the man of God steps up, the man or woman of God steps up into that void, it provides the opportunity for the God of that man or woman to show up. Mm. And the greatest thing about this story is you've got a man of God who's willing to step up, even though he's a slave in Babylon. He'd been captive and out of Judea, carried the Jews off back into Babylon. He was a slave here, but he steps up in this story and then God shows up. Now, so far, what we've been doing is we've just been kind of setting the context, okay? This is the context of what Daniel's about to do, and then what God is about to do. And the, I think the application of that is simply this. Folks, you know what? People in our world are willing to accept bogus answers until the rubber meets the road. Mm. You know, I mean, when the bottom falls out, when, the, when life really happens then when those old worldly answers are no longer sufficient to get them by, that's when they say, you know what, I want somebody to really tell me the truth. And that provides the opportunity for God's people to step into that void, to be like Daniel and step up into that void and say, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm here to be used by you. And when we do that, the scripture tells us that the God of the man or the woman is able to, to show up. Mm. So, So here we are, okay? The king is freaking out. The next thing that happens then, as I said, Daniel, the man of God, steps up. Tell us about it, Derek. I want to give you a principle before we begin,
0: and we're going to work this out through this point, and that is this, that every crisis provides an opportunity for us to step up. Every crisis. That's right. Every crisis that you face provides an opportunity for you to step up and be used by God. Get this. If people, and King Nebuchadnezzar here is the context, are most open to truth in the moment of crisis, mm-hmm. then there is in every crisis the greatest opportunity to speak truth to them. This is why I, yesterday, and uh, I didn't even say this for service, I performed a, fu- a funeral yesterday, did a funeral. And, uh, and, and someone asked me afterwards, you know, I, not, not really asked, but I guess assumed by saying, I bet you don't really like doing funerals. And I said, actually, I, I do. I mean, obviously, funerals are not good. It's, You'll not, get over never, it. a, it's never a good thing, but <laughs> it's a good opportunity to really be able to minister to people in their brokenness. But here's the other thing, is it reminds me of my own mortality. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of death. That Death is something that we forget about. We, we try to forget about as much as we can. And funerals bring us back to that reality that, oh, wait, right, this is going to happen. And, and every funeral, there are people there in crisis mode. Right. because they're not sure how to figure out what death holds for them it's scary it's scary yeah. and so it provides me the best opportunity to speak truth to them because
1: they're the most open to it in that moment right. it's one of the best opportunities to do that and that's why it's funny for me when I hear people do funerals and and everything is kind of you know sweet and fancy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you need yeah. To, yeah and you need to encourage you need to encourage people in their grief but it's, it is the greatest opportunity yes with sympathy yes and with with uh, you know, courtesy yeah. to be able to tell the gospel to say, "Hey, yeah," because people's hearts in that crisis are like Nebuchadnezzar. He's going, "You know what? The, the old answers are just not getting it They're done not, for me right now. Right? I need somebody to step up and tell me truth." And in that moment, God shows up when we do
0: that. So good. Now, now understand this: Daniel at this point is not even aware of what's happening. Okay, and it immediately begins to get dicey for him before he's even aware of the details. Verse 13: The decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. And they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. So understand, Daniel had been being trained by the wise men of of the Babylonian kingdom. This is the school that they're into. And so when the king freaks out and says, I'm killing all of them, guess who's a part of that group? Daniel and his three friends. Exactly. So you got to understand what's happening here about the king. Okay. Have you ever had such a bad experience that you just became flat out unreasonable about it? Just abandon all logic and reason. I remember uh, when I was much younger, there was a fast food place that we used to go to all the time with a group of friends of mine. And one night we went there, we ate, everything was fine. And that night I got like, I'm not going to give you the details, sick, sick. We don't want them, right? Very sick afterwards. And I was illogically opposed to that place for years. I wouldn't even buy a soda from there. I wouldn't even, I'm not even like, I'm not even going to drive by it, right? I had eaten there a hundred times with no issues. I wasn't even totally sure that, that they were the reason why I got sick. I and if had Facebook a, had been around I would have been on there. Yeah. been on Facebook I been on everybody, there. avoid this yeah. place. Yeah, yeah I could have had a stomach bug for all I know, but it didn't matter. My position was, they poison me, they don't care about their customers, <laughs> I'm never eating there again, and I will tell everybody I know to avoid this place. Just irrationally upset overreaction. This is what King Nebuchadnezzar is doing. He's in crisis mode. He's very worried about this dream. These wise men are yanking his chain. He's had a bad experience. He hits his limit and he goes into full on unreasonable mode. I want every single wise man in the kingdom put to death and not just put to death. I want to tear their their arms and legs off and I want to burn their houses (laughs) down. I mean, this is just like rage mode, This is right? nuclear mode. <laughs> nuclear mode. He is, he is absolutely unreasonable at this point. Now, don't miss this next part because this is extremely important. Daniel's life is in danger here. Yeah. And he has an opportunity to step up, to be the prophet God called him to be, to speak out. I mean, this is his job. But sometimes, I think, we can, we can confuse stepping up and speaking truth for powering up and being a butthole about it, <laughs> all right? He learned that in seminary. I learned that in seminary.
1: That's I want a you, theological
0: term. Look at verse 14. Look at this is so important. It Says then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion. Hmm. Now what is prudence? That's not a word that you hear used a whole lot. Prudence in the Hebrew it's the same word that means wisdom. In other words, Daniel used wisdom in his response. He didn't fly in there guns blazing. He used wisdom and discretion. You could easily translate that word as tact, right? He, he, in other words, he was calculated. He thought about it. He used wisdom in how he approached the guard who he's asking, hey, what's going on? And he did it with tact. Now, understand at this point when he approaches the guard, the, the head of the guard, by the way, the guy who's been given charge to execute all the wise men, the guard had the green light to unsheathe his sword and swing for the fences. Start taking limbs apart. Start taking <laughs> limbs apart. Daniel was on the hit list. But the way that Daniel approaches him with wisdom intact mm. disarms him. The guard doesn't kill him on the spot. Instead, the guard says, hey, this is what happened. The king had a dream. The wise men were, were goofing off, and, and he's irrationally upset now. He wants me to kill all you guys. So
1: you're saying that when you share the gospel with someone, it's not the best idea to say, you're going to fry like bacon over the hell's it, it, fires it, of hell. Exactly. That's yeah. Not. Okay. yeah maybe. That's non-discretion <laughs> intact. tact.
0: Right. Use a little prudence. Use a little discretion. <laughs> so at this point now, Daniel knows what's happening. King is irrational. There's no other real place to go. There's only one left. One other thing left to do or try, and that is go to the king himself, which is a dangerous proposition. But mm-hmm. he's going to die anyway. He's it's not in a real good mood. Doesn't really matter, right? Yeah, king's mad. So verse sixteen, he flings the door opens. It says Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. And check this out, the king agrees. Mm-hmm. He's desperate. Right. All right, yeah. Let me hear it. Now this is where I think the story gets very humorous. Uh, because it really sheds light on just how real Daniel was and, and, and the way that he approaches this. Verse 17, it says that he goes to his friends and tells them everything that has transpired. The king's mad, he wants to kill all of us. But then verse 18, he says this. It says, And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Translation, I told the king I would interpret his dream, and I don't actually know what it means. So I'm going to need you guys to pray real fast that God would tell me what it means so that we're not dead tonight. Right? This is what he's doing. In other words, he stepped up. He saw the void. He stepped up. He stepped out in faith, but he didn't even actually know what the dream meant. He had no clue. Talk about burning ships. I mean, there was no turning back from this one. This This is a faith step. This is all faith. This is a faith leap. Right? He told the king, I'm going to take care of it. And then he went and called a prayer meeting. And this wasn't, this wasn't, we've all been in one of those boring prayer meetings. I have allergies. My kids are picky eaters. Aunt Edna has hemorrhoids. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> like the not, there's no urgency there. Be honest. We're in church. We can be honest here. You've been in one of those prayer meetings. No one is like, okay, yeah, we can pray for that. That's fine. I really don't
1: care about Gertrude's hemorrhoids.
0: This was an urgent and desperate prayer. Their lives were literally on the line. But don't miss miss this. This void created an opportunity, a legit opportunity for Daniel to step up. The wise men, the intellectuals of the kingdom couldn't figure it out. That created a void, and Daniel stepped into that void and acted in faith. Listen, every crisis is an opportunity for you to step up. Right. It's an opportunity to step up, to act in faith, to speak truth. And, and men specifically for a moment, although this applies to everybody, men, because we have a culture of men who are fading away from being any kind of shape of leader in our society. If you have a crisis at work, you are called to step up and be a man of God and speak and act. If you have a crisis in the home, you are to step up. If there is a crisis in the church, step up. So often, too many of our men are distracted to be able to even notice the void that is in front of them, much less step up into it. And that's either caused by not dealing with their emotional stuff that's, that's literally blinding them from the work of God in their life. Either that or they're just distracted by stupid nonsense. Men, step up. Don't step around. Don't complain. Don't murmur. Put your shoes on and step through the void and be the man of God that God called you to be. We could keep going, but let me give you actually, just for a moment, let me give you some biblical support for this. Just in case you're, you're because I, I know, you're, you're probably going, well, where, where else in the Bible does it say that, right? Let me give just you some examples. Page. Yeah, just every page. Goliath, how about Goliath? Goliath. So when Goliath shows up, everybody's terrified, right? No one can beat this guy. Saul's cowering in the corner. It creates a void. There's a crisis here for Israel. Who steps up? David. Yeah, David, the boy, steps up and does what God calls him to do. God shows up then. And God shows up. What happens with, with, in Isaiah's book, right? King Uzziah dies. This is a crisis for the kingdom. God says, who will we send? Who will go for us? And what does is Isaiah say? Here yeah, am I, Lord. Send me. Years after Nebuchadnezzar is killed and Babylon is sacked by Persia, the walls in in Israel are desolate. There's a crisis. The walls need to be rebuilt. God says, who will go and do this? Nehemiah steps up and God shows up again and again and again and again. We could keep going. You get the picture. These moments are moments for you. They're opportunities for you to step up and be used by God in a way that he desires to use you in. Life can be so much more adventurous and big and full of color if you will stop being
1: distracted and open your eyes and see what God's doing. Life is kind of boring walking by sight. It is. It gets kind of exciting when you start walking by faith. It does. Because you just step out and you go, you know, I don't have a clue what God's going to do. I don't know what's going to happen And I could have never ended up here on my own. Yeah, never could have gotten here.
0: So understand, the king freaks out and a crisis is created out of this. And Daniel, the man of God, steps up. And last,
1: the God of the man shows up. I've got 20 minutes to do this. This is where we get into some biblical prophecy, okay? Most of you love the concept of biblical prophecy. Much of it is very confusing, and much of it is about concepts and images that we really don't fully understand. But there is a very good skeletal framework of biblical prophecy of the end times that we can understand, that God made certain that we can understand it. And we're going to touch on this a little bit here in just a moment. It's going to be difficult for me to get through this because there's so many details. So get out of that first stage of sleep. Get fully awake here. And let's walk through here because this is what God has really been about this whole time. See, God is working His sovereign purpose. This is all about God working out His will. Remember... This whole thing started with Daniel and his friends being carried off into Babylonian captivity because God's people, the Hebrew people in Judea, had been turning their backs on him and going to idolatry. And God kept saying to them, listen, I'm going to discipline you if you don't come back to me. He sent prophets to them. They ignored the prophets. Finally, God allowed the Babylonian kingdom to come down and in 587 B.C., sacked Jerusalem, and carried the Jews back into Babylon in captivity as servants and as slaves. So Daniel and all of those that are there, they're slaves in the Babylonian kingdom. They're not citizens. They don't have any rights. They are simply there to do whatever the king wants them to do. Well, the king's in a crisis now, and all of his conjurers and magicians, he says, you're all a bunch of hocus pocus. And here's this servant, here's this slave who has no citizenship, and no rights, but he is the man of God, he steps up, not knowing what God is going to do. And God says, there's my man, there's the one that I'm going to use, and I'm going to continue my purpose all the way through. Now get this, folks. Out of which tribe was Jesus prophesied to come? The tribe of Judah the tribe of Judah. And Judah was one of the two southern tribes that Babylon had conquered. Now, if God did not restore His people, then He would never be able to fulfill His promise that He was going to ultimately send the Savior. So He's going to have to do some work here to get His people restored. And it all begins right here with Daniel. And so God says, there's a man who stepped up. And so God says, now I'm going to show up. Now, get this. In verse 19, it says that the mystery of the dream was revealed to Daniel. In other words, Daniel didn't figure this thing out. He didn't have any book of dreams. He wasn't interpreting anything. It's just that God revealed the dream to Daniel. And Daniel acknowledges that. Daniel never says, hey, I'm the great dream interpreter. I'm the great dream reader. I'm none of that. He says, in verse 20 through 23, he says, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. (laughs) We're not going to die tonight. We're not going to die tonight. We're not going to be torn limb for limb. He says, for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and he establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is He who reveals the profound and the hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with Him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what we requested of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. You know, Daniel didn't get a troop and go on a tour of dream interpretation and passing the plate or anything else like that. He didn't go into a big lifestyle. Daniel falls on his face before this sovereign God and says, It is all of him. Verse 31. Then Daniel... Tells the king the dream. Now, remember, the king has not told anybody what his dream was. And that's why he wanted to get rid of everybody, because nobody could tell him what the dream was first. God has revealed the dream to Daniel. Now, in verse 31 through 35, Daniel stands before the king and tells him exactly what the dream was. And it's a weird dream. I mean, it's really, a, you think you've had some weird dreams. This is a weird dream. But every element of it has meaning. He says, first of all, there are actually five parts to the dream, Okay. We're going to talk about four, and then the last one, we're going to talk about the fifth. He says, first of all, king, you saw a statue, and the head was made of gold. And you can kind of see Neb going, okay, all right, okay, you got that. Second, he said, the shoulder and the arms of this statue were made out of silver, and the belly and the thighs were made of bronze, and the feet and the toes How many toes would there be on two feet? Remember that number. That's an important number. The feet and the toes were made of iron and clay. So that's four parts of the the dream. And all of these are elements of the statue.
0: This is historically, by the way, where head, shoulders, knees, and toes came from.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Now we come to the fifth element that we'll talk about in just a moment. He says, but then a stone in this dream that was cut without hands... In other words, there wasn't a a mason that chiseled the stone out. It was cut without hands. It came and it struck the statue on its feet of clay and iron and crushed the statue until the statue became like chaff from the threshing floor and carried it away. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled all the earth. Does that sound like some of the dreams that you've had? you know that's the weirdest thing in the world. Now, now the king gives Daniel his attention because Daniel has just done by the supernatural power of God what none of the world sorcerers could do. He told the king every element of the dream to the letter because God revealed it to Daniel. Daniel stepped up. So God's going to show up and he's going to work through Daniel. But then Daniel gives the interpretation. Because that's really what the king wanted to know, not just what the dream was, but what in the world does this crazy dream that is freaking me out even mean? So in verses 36 through 45, Daniel gives him the interpretation of what all five elements of this dream mean. You want to talk about them? Or would you just rather go to the cafeteria? Now, you want to hear what they're about, don't you? Some of them are having their own elements of dreams right now. They are. They're having nightmares. Okay. First of all, the head of gold. Daniel says, the head of gold on the statue is you, King Nebuchadnezzar, and your kingdom. Which means, Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to come down. In essence, he's telling Nebuchadnezzar, you rule right now, but you're not going to rule for very long. Now, what does history tell us that we know about? Well, first of all, we know that in fact the Babylonian Empire only lasted for 65 years. Ancient kingdoms lasted for centuries, but Babylon didn't. It was in existence, basically, for 65 years. And 45 of those years, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. And what was the king of Babylon, what was the Babylonian empire known for? It was known for gold, thus the head of gold. Herodotus, the Greek historian, I translated some of Herodotus' Greek history when I was a Greek student at Baylor University. Herodotus wrote about how so much that was in the kingdom of Babylon was made of gold. And so Babylon was represented by gold. And so he gets the idea, okay? That's you and your kingdom, the head of gold, but you ain't going to last very long. And then he goes to the shoulder and the arms, which are made out of silver. What kingdom is this? This is the Medo-Persian Empire. Because Babylon only lasted for 65 years because the Medo-Persian Empire rose up and conquered Babylon. Babylon. What was the Medo-Persian Empire known for? They were known for silver. As a matter of fact, ancient historians record for us that all of the taxes that were paid into the Persian government coffer had to be paid in silver. They required that it be paid in silver. The Medo-Persian Empire lasted for about 200 years. And then we come to the belly and the thighs that are made of bronze of this statue. This statue is four kingdoms. There's Babylon, short time, Medo-Persians, the shoulder and the arms. They lasted for about 200 years. And then we come to the belly and the thighs that are made out of bronze, which represents the Greek empire. Because when the Greek empire rose up, it was after the Persians, and they rose up to literally rule the Persian kingdom and a good bit of the world at that particular time. What were the Greeks known for? They were known for bronze. Bronze is an alloy. It was the Greek culture that created the alloy of bronze. And if you've read anything about Greek Greco-Roman history, which I love, you know that the Greek armies, when they went into battle, were called the brazen, which means bronze. Why? Because they had developed the ability to, to make bronze, which was a very hard metal in its particular day. And that's one of the reasons they were almost inconquerable, because they had bronze that other nations did not have. So then the Greeks came up, dominated the Persians. Then the fourth kingdom, which is the feet and toes of clay. And are you with me so far? We've got Babylon, 65 years. Persians, crushed the Babylon, 200 years. Then the Greeks come along and they are very, very influential. Greek culture, development of bronze. But then we come to this fourth part of the statue, which is the feet and the toes of clay and of iron, which represents the Roman Empire, who eventually ruled over all of the kingdoms of the known world. And what they did, and one of the reasons they were so powerful, is because they perfected the use of iron, which was much harder than bronze. And so their iron swords and their iron shields would penetrate the bronze swords of the Greeks. And so the Romans were able to spread their empire through the known world. They basically destroyed every empire there was. Now, it was not until the the Roman Empire... Hang on to this. this. We're talking Daniel's prophecy is 600 years before Christ. The Roman Empire lasted in its eastern version until four centuries after Christ. So that's a thousand years that the eastern Roman Empire, but its western empire lasted another thousand years. But the, the Roman domination that you hear about, about when Rome was literally ruling the world, lasted between 500 and 600 years. They came along, the Babylonians were wiped out by the Persians, then the Persians were wiped out by the Greeks, and then the Romans came along and wiped out the Greeks and conquered the known world. Now this is the interpretation that Daniel is giving to the king. And you know what? History records that every one of those things that he told the king was going to happen actually did happen, and in that order. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. Now, let's stop for just a moment and exactly kind of think about that from a historical perspective. When Daniel was telling the king the meaning of the dream, it was 600 years before Christ. And Rome, the one that was ultimately going to be the world empire of all of these kingdoms, at that time, Rome was just a village. The city of Rome was just a little town. Rome had been founded about 200 years, about 150 years before Daniel's time, in the middle of the 8th century B.C. Daniel is about in the 6th century B.C. About 100 years after Daniel was when Rome became a republic. In other words, that's when they began to be governed by a senate. But they were still just a town. They were not known... As the Roman Empire, I know this is way too much information, but I love Roman history. I'm reading about it right now, as a matter of fact. But they were not ro- known as the Roman, Roman Empire until 27 B.C. Okay? They were Rome, a republic managed by or by senate, but they were not known as the Roman Empire until, until 27 B.C. when they had their first Roman emperor. His real name was Octavius. He ruled Rome until 14 A.D., 14 years after the birth of Christ. And it was Octavius who took the name... Do you remember that name? Who was emperor when Jesus was born? You don't remember reading the Bible, Octavius, do you? Because he quit going by Octavius. He took upon himself Caesar Augustus, which basically translated means the big cheese. Okay? I mean, he is the big dude. He's the first Roman emperor. And the point that I'm trying to make here is that when Daniel was giving this prophecy about these nations and about this great nation that is going to rule everything, Rome was just a little town. There was nothing to indicate that Rome would ever become this world force. It would be a little bit like me today saying to you, Now, folks... Waxahachie is someday going to rule the world.
0: Even more obscure than that, Oklahoma.
1: Oklahoma. Or let's say Elk City, Oklahoma someday is going to rule the world. You've got to watch out for those Waxahachians because I'm telling you, God told me that one of the day the Waxahachie is going to go not just be a town, it's going to be a worldwide kingdom. That's what it would have been like. But that's exactly what Daniel said. Now that gives you an idea of the supernatural quality of this prophecy. And I've got five minutes. If you'll give me about seven minutes, I'll try to get through. So you have the four elements, okay? His stuff that happened historically, recorded. The Babylonians, head of gold, conquered by the Persians, shoulders and arm of silver. The Greeks, belly and thigh of bronze. And the Roman Empire, legs of iron, feet, and then who were made of clay and an iron. But the story's not over because there's another kingdom. That Daniel prophesied. USA, and what USA, kingdom is that? USA. <laughs> USA. I don't think so. I don't okay. think so. Joking. <laughs> there are a lot of people that think they're so myopic. They think, oh, well, it's got to be the United States of America. Let me tell you, it's much bigger than that.
0: <laughs> much bigger than
1: that. It's the kingdom of the stone. Not the stoned kingdom. <laughs> it's the kingdom of the stone in verse 44 through 45. Now, after telling him all of this about these nations, then he says, But in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. All of these have been destroyed. But God is going to raise up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for anyone else. In other words, like the Babylonians were left for the Persians, there ain't going to be none of that leaving. Because, you see, this kingdom is never going to be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and will put an end to all of these kingdoms. But it itself will endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands. And that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true and its interpretation is true is trustworthy so so far we've gotten four pieces of this prophecy these are earthly kingdoms historical kingdoms and we know they actually existed and we know that they were wiped out now think about this so the stone is going to rise up i'm going to skip over the seven toes i'm going to skip over daniel seven i'm going to skip over all that stuff there's so much stuff to this but one of the things what he is ultimately saying for us today And by the way the number 10 is very important if you've, got a, if you've got the bottom part of the statue, which represents the Roman Empire, and got two feet, how many toes do you think you've got? You've got ten. In Daniel chapter 7, just a few chapters later, Daniel talks about a prophecy of the Antichrist that Revelation actually gives a very clear description about, and he is going to rule with a confederation of kingdoms of ten kingdoms. And many believe, and most believe, as a matter of fact, that what is going to happen when the Antichrist comes, I said I wasn't going to do all this, but I just can't get by without it. When the Antichrist comes, that is described in the book of Revelation, it will be a a resurgence of the ancient Roman Empire. He will rule over a confederation of ten nations, the ten toes of of, of Rome in the Daniel statue. And that's not just one place. Chapter 7 of Daniel talks about that. Chapter 7 and chapter 13 again in the book of Revelation talks about the Antichrist who is ruling over a confederation of ten nations. But what is the prophecy saying? That even that confederation, even that powerful confederation, the resurgence of the ancient Roman Empire managed under the auspices of the Antichrist is going to be crushed beneath the stone of the kingdom of God. Now, that is good news, isn't it? And I'm telling you this, four of those things, everything about the statue has been historically fulfilled, hasn't it? Are you going to bet that God won't fulfill that fifth one? Are you willing to take that bet? I'll tell you what, you'd never win in Vegas you're taking bets like that. I mean, if God's done it four ways and showed up that way, you can bet that He's going to fulfill that fifth one, that He's going to raise up a stone, and that stone as... The scripture says in Isaiah, he's a stone that is in Zion. He's a tested stone. Rejected by the builders. Rejected by the builders. He's a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. And the one who trusts in him will never be dismayed. Jesus said in Matthew 21, do you you not read the scriptures? That the stone, he's talking about himself, that the builders rejected This stone became the chief cornerstone. And this came about from the Lord. And it is marvelous in our eyes. And Peter talked about it in 1 Peter 2. He said, Behold, God is saying, I will lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious stone, and he who believes in Him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe. For those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected this will become the very cornerstone. In fact, he says, "When you reject this stone, you will ultimately be crushed by this stone. Mm. Now listen, folks, this is what we've got to look forward to. This is what Daniel's telling us, and what Daniel 7 tells us, and what Revelation 13 and uh, uh, seven, Revelation 7 and Revelation 13 tell us that there is going to come a time, there's going to be a great kingdom in our world. the Antichrist is going to reign, and it's going to look like it's all going to go to hell in a handbasket. It looks like it's going to be all over for, the, for mankind. It's going to look like it's going to be all over for the people of God. And then God is going to raise up the stone. And He's going to come again. And He is going to crush the kingdoms of this world. And they're going to see that they rejected the stone. They were part of those who rejected the stone. And they will then, all of the kingdoms of the earth will be crushed by the stone of God. Now... All of this we know, get this, because a man of God stepped up. God revealed this through Daniel because Daniel stepped into the void. Yep. And when Daniel stepped up, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob showed up. And he gave this prophecy. And he proved to the king that the God of Daniel, the God of Meshach, Shadrach. Shadrach.
0: And Abednego.
1: And Abednego is the God of heaven and earth. Listen, folks. The point of this message is this. Every crisis is an opportunity for God's people to step up. To step into the void. Don't tell God what he's supposed to do. You just step up and God will do what he wants to do. But when we step up, It gives our God of heaven and earth the opportunity to show up. And what he will do most often will not be what you think he'll do. And that won't be done the way you think he'll do it. You have no idea, but he'll show up. I love the story of Daniel. I love the story of David. I love the story of Nehemiah. All these are just individuals who said, okay, there's a void here. I'm going to step into that void. And I'm going to be God's person. And I'm going to trust him. And he proves himself faithful. That's one of the greatest stories that I know in all the Bible. It's a great one. He's just a slave. He's been carried away. He's there against his will. He has no rights. He has no citizenship. But there's a crisis in the world. So the man of God says, I'll step up. And the God of the man shows up and shows himself real. You know, it's like these women with this young woman that we baptized this morning. She came into a freedom group of women. She didn't know Jesus. She was there to get help in her life. But guess what? Someone stepped up. Someone stepped up. Somebody stepped into that void and shared with her the gospel of Jesus Christ. And she said, you know, in the end of it, she said, I I came here to get help in my life, and I got help for eternity. Mm -hmm. Why? Because somebody in that group stepped up and shared Christ with her and loved her and cared for her. Listen, folks, we are never void. There's not a day that goes by that we are ever void of opportunities to step up. They may not be big deals like this. They may not be like David with a the giant. They may not be like Nehemiah rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. may not be like Daniel before a pagan king. But there is an opportunity every day to step into the void and be God's person. Say, Lord, I'm, I'm here. Here am I. What are you going to do, God? God says, well, I'm going to work. Isn't that good? That's a great message. I mean, not this message, it wasn't that bad. It was pretty decent. But just the message of Scripture, where was, God gives us, hey, this is true, it's it, happened. We it were looking in the history books, it's done. It was so good, we preached it twice. <laughs> he looked at me after the first service and said, let's do that again. Let's I said, do we the, don't have a we choice. We've <laughs> we got another group of victims coming in here. Let's pray together. Well, let's just bow before him in adoration, worship for a moment. For his goodness, his majesty, his supremacy. And when it looks bad, as it looks bad in our world, folks, he's not finished. He's not finished. He's going to have the final say. That stone, he's going to raise that stone up. Man, I can't wait. I want to be alive when that happens. But if I'm not, it's going to happen. And I'll get to come out of the grave. Thank you, Father, for this incredible message of your faithfulness. That you are in charge, even when it looks like you're not, even when it looks like the nations of the earth are defining the direction of history, it's never going to get past you, that you are working, you're moving the pieces of the puzzle around, and remind us when that really darkest day comes, that this is not the end, the end is going to come when the stone that the builders rejected establishes your eternal kingdom, Jesus Christ, forever and ever. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hope you, can, hope you can soak some of that in and take it in. God bless you. Have a great week. We will be quizzing you over those dates next that's right, week. So that's just, right. Hopefully you wrote them down.